0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 129 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're talking all about running on adrenaline, a topic I clearly have no idea about. (laughs) (laughs) Becky's shaking her head. (laughs) <laughs> right, I know. um, I am absolutely self admittedly uh adrenaline junkie, and to the level where I still chronically run late, Um, And I'm always trying to squeeze in 10 things if I have that extra minute. Um, I book deadlines. And when deadlines are getting ready to be completed, I'm stacking something else on my plate, pushing harder. And I think that that is the world of a hustler. And I think that that's what makes me successful as a practitioner and entrepreneur. But running on adrenaline, as we will talk about today, is not a good thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I can totally relate on the hustler front of things. I think that's why we work really well together. But <laughs> on the opposite end, you can still experience, you know, running on adrenaline, even if you're dealing with adrenal burnout, which is more my world of <laughs> things. um, And we can see fatigue, even if we're running on adrenaline. So, you know, looking at that stressed and wired versus stressed and tired connection, uh, but stressed is in both of those
1: Yes, important to acknowledge there. <laughs> so the other issue is that I think as far as running on adrenaline is adrenaline feels good. So many of us don't want to hang that white flag of surrender. You know, adrenal fatigue, having a difficulty of getting out of bed, feeling like a fly that's hit the wall, that's time when we're able to admit or ask for help maybe or, you know, recognize that this is an imbalance in our body. But potentially when we're surging on adrenaline, that will perpetuate and drive the buzz, buzz, buzz that creates the crash. But we don't want to admit defeat during the adrenaline surge often because it feels good. There's this high, you know, there's this meeting a deadline, racing a car, uh, libido-like impact, this superhuman mentality of adrenaline. But I often see in clinical experience patients that are dealing with like this actual, they'll describe it as feeling electric or dealing with buzzing or ringing or some even experience tinnitus, you know, where they're they're getting this buzzing in their ears. Um this can all be signs of running on too high of adrenaline and we need to really reset this HPA axis. So today we're going to talk a lot deeper down the rabbit hole about the HPA axis. I know I love this area of topic with my anti-anxiety diet and we're going to really bring all of you into the conversation of what stress can do to your body and how to reset for sustainability and resilience in the many hats that we all have to wear.
2: Yes, totally. And and this is you know a topic that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. I'm sure you guys will see us doing some iteration of this episode in the future and continuing to talk about the impact of stress because it's so real and can create havoc in your body. So today's episode is all about digging into how chronic stress and run, running on adrenaline is going to cause chaos in your body. And I think this is one that's really going to resonate with our listeners because, like we say, when people see the anti-anxiety diet as the title of your book, I think some are like, "Oh, I don't have anxiety; I don't need that." But when you break it down and you label anxiety a little bit differently, maybe as stress, um, they see how the approach can, you know, help with resilience to that stress and connect the role of stress on their digestion and gut health and inflammation hormones, thyroid down the line. And then it pretty much is relating to everybody.
1: Yes. And in today's episode, I'm really excited. We're going to get into some of the emotional and internal self-talk elements of the stress response. Because again, it's mental health has such an unfortunate positioning. I mean, it's getting more and more into conversation of being proactive as far as depression, anxiety, mood disturbances. But I want to tie in the elements of emotional stress, like even if you're feeling dissatisfied with your job, for instance, how that can drive a chronic stress surge, which can create imbalance within that HPA axis and keep you in this fight or flight mode. So even if you feel like your job isn't stressful, but you're stressed about the imbalance of you know this Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, of, of self-actualization or, you know, being the best version of yourself on a daily basis, if you don't feel you're achieving that, then that in itself, that feeling of failure or that feeling of dissatisfaction can create chronic illness in the body. And I think it's a really important conversation to have.
2: Sure. And then, you know, on the other end of that, good stressors can also have us running on adrenaline So that planning a wedding or something that's got us in this go, go, go mode. Even if we're loving it, it can drive burnout on the other end.
1: <laughs> like planning uh, food is medicine at the farm right. event. <laughs>
2: I'm just thinking. Right. I know. We just got off an event deadline. planning call and, um, <laughs> We seem to be in that mode of like stacking all of these things on top of each other right now. So Yes.
1: <laughs> round top retreat that's coming in the fall, uh-huh. Uh-huh. all of the things uh-huh. Brady loves to say, he's like, Allie, literally the second that the trigger of a gun gets taken off of your head and, and you get a moment of letdown from just accomplishing or like nailing things out or laying out the deadlines. You literally create or manifest like two or three other problems. <laughs> and maybe not problems. I think they're solutions, right? But but it is. It's a it's the constant hustle and layering and it's all good stress. It's used stress. It's it's what I'm so passionate about. But it is something to always be mindful of. How can we help you guys bubble wrap? So yep. that's what today's yep. all about. I
2: was going to say. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about you know tools that we personally use and solutions. You know, if you are going to be on that kind of hyperdrive train and don't see yourself getting off it. There are things that you can do to create resilience in your body. So, you know, without further ado, we talk about this HPA access in so many episodes. Um, But with today specifically on adrenaline, I want to bring listeners into the role of the sympathetic nervous system, kind of what the HPA access is and specifically where adrenaline is made and what adrenaline is.
1: Okay, so the HPA axis is our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, and this is the feedback mechanism of our fight or flight mechanisms of the body. And as you've heard of us uh, speaking in other episodes about how this HPA axis can also spill into the thyroid, HPA-T, right, or into our reproductive Health, So ovaries or testes. Um, and so some call it the HPA, G for gonad or O for ovarian. And what we know is the HPA axis is this kind of light switch effect of what keeps us into the sympathetic fight or flight or the parasympathetic rest, digest, regulate, reproduce mode. And so if we are in the fight or flight mechanism, we are running on reactive versus regulatory mode. And adrenaline is one of the primary reactive neurotransmitters that's released to help us to survive from an acute high demand attack, right? An emergency type situation. So Let's unpack kind of each element of this axis. The hypothalamus and pituitary are both in the brain. The hypothalamus is the main regulator of our homeostasis. So it's going to play a huge role on our body temperature, on our circadian rhythm, on our metabolism and satiety. This is where the majority of that leptin hormone, that satiation hormone, docks in the brain. And we make our thyroid releasing hormone in the hypothalamus. So moving up to the P, which is the pituitary gland also in the brain, This is where we'll start to see influence on our thirst and fluid retention with the antidiuretic hormone. So we can start to see edema as a sign of imbalance or fluid retention, swelling um, as a sign of imbalance in this area. We make the thyroid stimulating hormone. We talked about this a lot in last uh, week's episode of the podcast where we talked about lab values and how the TSH is what most doctors run to look at thyroid, but really that's a true indication of how the pituitary is reading the thyroid and whether it's stimulating it to make more or less of the thyroid hormone. In our pituitary, we also make our human growth hormone or HGH. So this regulates kind of the building blocks of growth, development, also a sexual hormone expression. We see progesterone stimulation going on in the pituitary, and we see the reward bliss libido hormone that we talked about with Dr. Anna Kabeca, oxytocin made in the pituitary. And then the adrenals, Outside of the brain, these are little tiny walnut glands sitting above our kidneys, um, and we have two parts of the adrenal gland. We have the medulla and the cortex. So the cortex is where we make our steroid hormones. We have aldosterone, which is our blood pressure regulator, which plays a role with sodium retention. We have cortisol, probably the star of the show as far as known players. And if cortisol is too high, that can actually – Uh, play a role with fluid retention. That can play a role with driving belly fat storage. Um, It can actually suppress the immune system. And then when low, when cortisol poops out over time, we can see chronic inflammation, more susceptibility to histamines and food sensitivities and bloating and swelling in the abdomen. And then we make DHEA as the final steroid hormone in the cortex, and this is the one that can convert into testosterone or estrogen and plays a role with our ketone metabolism. Now, finally getting to the adrenaline part, the the medulla of (laughs) the adrenal gland. Um, So this is where we make our neurotransmitters. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter that, these are called catecholamines first off. So if you hear that term, catecholamines are our stress-responding chemicals, um, and three of them made in the medulla of the adrenal gland, dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. And they metabolize in that sense. So epinephrine is what we're talking about when we're talking about adrenaline. It's uh, The layman's term is adrenaline. And um, dopamine, which is the first building block, converts. We think of dopamine as like reward or bliss, um, and that converts into norepinephrine and then into epinephrine. And collectively, these three components are going to play a big role on stress, anxiety, depression, our ability to multitask. Um, they can play a role with favorable professional drive, or if we get too wound up, they can drive insomnia, paranoia, worry. And um, I, I think the big thing is just this this feeling of imbalance or this chronic
2: surge of, of a buzz. Okay. So if we remember nothing else from what Allie just said, adrenals, adrenaline is a good... Yes. <laughs> kind of, uh, what's that called? A... Ugh. You know, alliteration, alliteration. I'm like, alliterate. (laughs) Um, So basically, when stress stimuli is high, the HPA access is going to be in this overdrive mode, and you're putting out excessive amounts of these compounds um, that are made by the adrenals. So let's talk about that physiological impact of stress.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, honestly, that was a kind of, foundational conversation of the HPA axis, right? Because there's direct stimulators in the hypothalamus and the pituitary like ACTH, right? And corticotropin-releasing hormone, which directly stimulate the adrenals. And the impact is that cortisol is supposed to give negative feedback to the hypothalamus to say, stop triggering the adrenals. But when we're under chronic stress demand, that feedback can get um, – blocked or that feedback doesn't get read or it's overburdened by the cortisol surge. And this is what keeps us in this chronic state. And stress, I mean, as again, with this, my kind of passion project with the anti-anxiety diet, I go in with all of those entry points of the R's of the anti-anxiety diet, right? Reducing inflammation, uh, repairing the gut lining, uh, resetting the microbiome, we know that stress alone under a chronic level can sterilize the gut microbiome, right? So, this makes us susceptible to less production of the serotonin and GABA, those two landing gear feel good neurotransmitters that are predominantly manufactured in the gut by lacto and bacteria, the positive strains of our gut bugs, right? So, if stress sterilizes the microbiome, that creates a chicken and egg vicious cycle that then we don't have. production of the landing gear. And then to add insult to injury, if the microbiome is susceptible to pathogen in a sterilized mode, remember probiotics are also nature's defense or nature's natural antibiotic, if you will. And so if we have a sterilized biome, we have more susceptibility to dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth in the body. And we know that when we have excess of imbalanced gut bacteria that that creates more epinephrine or adrenaline surge because it creates this feedback to the body that we're under distress and something's wrong. And I really think of adrenaline as like this alarm, right? It's like the colored like red light that's just spinning in the body saying something's off. Um, So we can have totally dysbiosis, microbiome imbalance, and further neurotransmitter imbalance from stress, all coming just from the gut bugs. And then kind of taking that conversation to the next level, leaky gut, can be connected to stress because we see a compound called LPS or lipopolysaccharide. And generally, the immune system is going to upregulate this if we have a dysbiotic gut. And the idea of LPS is that it's this signal that there is imbalance in the gut microbiome and LPS actually drills holes into our gut lining, creating leaky gut, so that what our immune system couldn't regulate in the microbiome can allow to get into the bloodstream for our master immune system to attack. Well, we've seen in research that social anxiety alone, aside from our gut microbiome, social anxiety increases LPS. So we know leaky gut alone can be driven by adrenaline. And again, the same kind of stress, like just from me public speaking, I always double down, for instance, on L-glutamine because I know that glutamine Independently gets metabolized with stress demand. Um, We know this when we talk about, like, you know, happy meats being more tender, for instance. But glutamine helps to line the gut. So I'm taking that to prevent that LPS action of the stress response and to protect my gut from damage of just the stress alone. And um, we know that other nutrients get burned out, like magnesium uh, with stress response. So we could be susceptible to elevated blood pressure or muscle aches or tension in the body.
2: Sure. Or like B vitamins are a huge one that I'm sure we're going to talk about um, the influence on under stress.
1: Yeah, and so B vitamin depletion then can drive issues with concentration and focus and activation of our brain chemicals. And then there's just pure physiological stress responses, right? So when we're in that sympathetic nervous system state, we're going to see an increase in our heart rate. We're going to see a short-term – we'll talk about this when we talk about metabolism, but a short-term increase in muscle strength. This is where you can like lift a car, you know, if your child is in it or something. Um, We see blood pressure going up and we see blood sugar metabolism going up because our body responds with wanting that short acting fuel. So we actually upregulate gluconeogenesis. We dump sugar into the bloodstream and we metabolize sugar slower because we want to reserve the sugar to be available for the brain if needed. And the body's thinking in this sense that it is in survival mode. So it might not get fed for a while. So it's trying to preserve the blood sugar flow as creating. Um, And that's where we'll get definitely into the conversation today about adrenaline and weight gain. And there's a huge intertwined connection there. And the last thing I would note about adrenaline surge, which is definitely an unfavorable one, is random middle of the night waking, right? So this like 3 to 5 a.m. energy rise where – you have a difficult time, maybe not falling asleep in the first place, but you're not getting into that deep restful state because the body feels that it has to stay some level of alertness um, or hold some level of tension. And you wake up spontaneously sometime in the middle of the night and you have a hard time getting back to bed. Or when you do fall asleep again, then then you're waking,
2: not feeling well rested. Totally. And I think that's one I see with a lot of clients or even clients who've – um been doing keto for a while, and they start to maybe burn out on magnesium or some other stress-supporting compounds in their yes. bodies, um, and they'll see that night waking kind of suddenly uptick. Yep, for sure. Okay, and maybe we should have talked about this first, but now that we kind of know the impact downstream of um, excessive adrenaline and stress, let's talk about what types of situations can really rev up that adrenaline and stress response in the first place. So you mentioned the dysbiosis and gut infections as um, a possible cause, but what else are we seeing?
1: So yeah, there's, and that's important to note because you could be like chill as a cucumber. You could be like, you know, Yoda, or Gandhi or whoever, (laughs) and like be like so mellow mindset and have your mantras down and whatnot. But if you're dealing with a physical stressor, like whether that's dysbiosis or you have an infection like Epstein-Barr or you have mold or you have toxic metals in your body or you're dealing with chronic food sensitivity or allergies, right? All of these can be physiological stressors and then not to mention the physical stressor that you have more direct control of, which would be exercise, right? So like marathon running or high-intensity training, this can definitely drive output from the adrenals, and we see that in clinical research. Emotional, we touched on a little bit, um, but I, like I said, we're going to unpack a lot in today's episode because I think that the internal self-talk or the I guess perception or mental, emotional relationship we have with our state, um, our current social state, our current financial state, relationship state is really important piece of this puzzle. Um, so you know, feeling unworthy or not good enough, or pushing yourself to overachieve and do better, that can be an emotional stressor that can upregulate adrenaline. Then there's chemical roles, like actual exposure to varied prescription drugs. We're going to talk today about Adderall a little bit. um, And that's one of the main ones, right? That's actually methamphetamine or speed. (laughs) And so... That's one that's going to upregulate adrenaline. Um, and then there are other drugs um, like in our SSRNIs, which influence like a Um, And then we can even look at like chemo, radiation, toxicity in varied forms of chemicals that can drive adrenaline surge because the body's trying to survey, survive, excuse me, the invader. Um, just this generalized beyond the emotional, like spiritual, like I said, lack of direction or purpose. Um, and then there's, of course, dietary implications like over-caffeinating, over-sugar consuming, um, which will drive that adrenaline and chronic fatigue world as well.
2: Sure. And like you said, even food sensitivity is like constantly consuming foods that are not beneficial for our body. Going back to episode 126 that just came out, we talked a lot about the application of the anti-anxiety diet in terms of foods to remove as a starting point.
1: Absolutely. And, and then going further of like the someone's superfood is someone else's kryptonite, sure. right? So if yeah. you're eating spinach every day and you have an immunological inflammatory reaction with that, you're actually going to release mm-hmm. adrenaline as a response when your immune system detects the presence of that spinach.
2: Yeah, totally. I'm waiting on my MRT results as we speak. So (laughs) I've had spinach on them every damn time I've run them. So we'll see. (laughs) We'll see if it's still kryptonite. Okay. Um, But yeah, I think this is super important because beyond, you know, being type A and just feeling like you're rocking it or not suffering, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be that you're taking on too much or admitting to being overwhelmed. It might be, a parasite or it might be your exercise class that's driving you over the edge.
1: Yeah, or it might just be real life shit like momming and yep. you know <laughs> wearing 25,000 hats and not saying no enough. <laughs> so, I think yes.
2: Sure, and I think we all to an extent do this. It's like, "Oh, I got this. I can take on one more thing." And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, waiting for that dam to break to recognize yeah. sometimes that we're overwhelmed. Okay. Um, and back to the blood sugar thing real quick. Um, it's so important. And I swear, like a lot of times it is my high adrenaline, high stress output clients that are often the most difficult weight loss clients. And it takes months and months and months, even on a keto diet to see progress with them. Yes. Um, many of them are, are seeing, you know, low cortisol output, so more stressed and tired, but they're still running on adrenaline.
1: Yes. And this is really common and I think uh, misunderstood. So, You can be in varied stages of adrenal fatigue, Um, definitely in stages one and two. It's often to see people where cortisol levels start to decline or DHEA levels. So again, the cortex of the adrenal gland is not putting out as much hormone, but the neurotransmitters from the medulla are overcompensating. And so you can be in this high adrenaline surge, yet you can still start to see a cascade of, of The cortisol values becoming uh, lower or imbalanced. Maybe you're getting that peaking in the middle of the night of a cortisol surge uh, and then not getting that peak early in the morning where it belongs. Um, And it's so important to note that, yes, right, like these type A individuals that want to eat the perfect diet that have spreadsheets and tabs (laughs) and weigh their food and Mm -hmm. everything is literally beyond... These are the people that are obsessing and stressing about the both probably qualitative and quantitative information, and that in itself can be driving belly fat and can definitely interfere with their ability to shed any weight um, and even, you know, maintain ideal body weight. They, They feel like they're constantly dancing or chasing. And so the important things to acknowledge is that, you know, cortisol in general is actually a catabolic hormone. So this means that it actually breaks down muscle to be utilized for energy in times of survival. So we can get muscle wasting with elevated cortisol levels, even if you're exercising and otherwise working to gain muscle mass. Um, And so it's important to note this. And, you know, we also see that cortisol itself, not only does it break down muscle to create that conversion of, you know, gluconeogenesis um, from our glycogen, um, but we also are going to get the pure glucose-stimulating impact of cortisol being a glucocorticoid hormone. So cortisol both stimulates blood sugar release and muscle breakdown, which is going to create more body fat storage and lower your basal metabolic rate, right? So your body burns calories based on how much muscle tissue it has. And when your body has a peak of blood sugar – it releases insulin to chase that blood sugar to bring it into the cells. And once you've stored your reserves of glycogen from that glucose, from that blood sugar spike, the liver is filled and the muscle tissue is filled, then that excess glucose gets converted into body fat storage. Um, And so it's, it's such an important connection, I think, to make on both ends of the spectrum of reducing the muscle mass, increasing the amount of blood sugar in your system, which then drives body fat storage. And to add insult to injury further, not only will you have these excess sugars in your bloodstream, which then get stored as fat, but your fat tissue actually has a glucocorticoid receptor. So there is a glucocorticoid receptor in fat tissue that can affect the way our brain controls stress and metabolism. And that just creates more visceral fat or the unhealthy fat that's closest to our organs, which also independently has been shown in research to stimulate glucose. So you have many angles of areas that are driving sugar surge, and fat storage all the while while you're reducing your metabolism.
2: Sure. So it's this total chicken-egg relationship right where you know you have the blood sugar spike you see fat storage and then stress chemicals from fat and stress alone driving more fat. So it's this vicious cycle and you know a lot of that is um that adaptive mechanism of if you are under stress running from a tiger whatever or scarcity of food your body's not going to want to release that excess fat we talk about that all the time with those type a clients who are weighing and measuring too um, but
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think this is this onset, too, of where we're seeing more chronic disease in the sense of things like fatty liver. Um, I mean, people that can – you can be a healthy dieter, right, or eat a clean diet. You know, we think of fatty liver, of course, associated with fructose as one of the biggest culprits. But I've had clients that aren't eating a high-carb or a diet that has any high-fructose elements in it, and maybe even a cleaner paleo diet or a keto diet, and they're dealing with chronic fatty liver. And the root cause can be this adrenaline surge that is upregulating fat formation, fat storage, and then the fat cells themselves are telling the brain to drive more
2: sugar dump. So total vicious cycle. And then beyond weight, body fat, and blood sugar metabolism, Let's talk about some of the other influencing factors of adrenaline or other symptoms that we might see physiologically.
1: Yeah. So I mentioned the the influence of aldosterone as a regulator of our sodium retention. When you're under duress, uh, aldosterone is going to send a signal to your kidneys to hold more salt. Um, And so, you know, we can see often like even um, in the face is a big area where you can look puffy under high stress times, uh, in the abdomen, in the legs. Um, And I also associate leg swelling in women. This is a very common um, telltale sign of adrenal fatigue and progesterone insufficiency. And often this is due to this pregnenolone steal. So, you know, our steroid hormone cholesterol – Converts into pregnenolone, which can then make DHEA or progesterone, and then progesterone can make either that aldosterone or cortisol. Uh, progesterone can also transition down into a form of estrogen, estrone, and then progesterone from al- from and dehydrostadione, excuse me, can make testosterone. So progesterone can make our sexual hormones and cortisol. And pregnenolone as this kind of precursor hormone can shunt all of its energy into the cortisol and DHEA of the adrenals, and our sexual hormone gets basically depleted or lowered in that survival mode. And so low progesterone can be very pronounced. And we think of progesterone and estrogen having opposing effects, where progesterone is a vasodilator. It can help with blood pressure regulation. We know when estrogen gets high, we get more vasoconstriction. And uh, same thing with tying with fluid, that progesterone is a diuretic, so it releases excess fluid and estrogen can hold fluid on the body. And the further connection, again, is if we're getting this unfavorable metabolism and we're storing more body fat under stress, we're probably having more estrogen dominance because our adipocytes or our fat cells are estrogenic.
2: Oh, man. So much here to (laughs) unpack. Uh, But, you know, why I think literally every day I'm making more and more connections as to why, like, literally everyone (laughs) needs a copy of the anti-anxiety diet to just get empowered with these connections and understand how to really optimize their weak points of their body.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't hurt to have these constant connections as you're like uh, submerged in the cookbook. <laughs> like, oh yeah, more and more. <laughs> and I think that both of us have been having so much fun with the approaching anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which comes out in the fall. But even if you guys are waiting on that and you don't have the anti-anxiety diet, I think that I really try to download my brain and and un- unpack all of this density in a user friendly way that you can have these strong aha moments. And um, again. Right, like we said in the beginning, you might not assign. Oh, I don't run on adrenaline. I'm just living my life. But as you make these connections, it's like, oh, but wait, my cycle was shorter that month, and I was under high stress. Mm-hmm. It could be because of that progesterone um, steal or pregnenolone conversion into cortisol. And
2: a lot of times, what I see, you know, in clients, it's like. They're trying to recover a hormone imbalance or get over a food sensitivity or recover their gut. And until you address the stress piece of the puzzle, none of it gets better, right? We're like yeah. giving bioidentical progesterone and the numbers are like inching up every three months that we test, right? And and I always say
1: you can't add lighter fluid to fire. You gotta gotta get to the root, and that's why I I love one of my favorite pull quotes on the anti anxiety diet is that you know this HPA axis is the Achilles
2: heel to whole body wellness. Oh my gosh! Okay, love it. <laughs> um, okay, so this week I actually made a couple of recipes from the anti anxiety diet, and I know we're going to talk about or the anti anxiety diet cookbook I was photographing. Um, and we'll talk about food as medicine here in a moment. But I made the Thai green curry chicken soup, I think it's yes. called. Yes. Um, because I knew it was going to be freezing here <laughs> in Houston um, this week. And I also made the Greek lamb meatballs with the roasted Mediterranean veggies, and both were a huge hit. Oh, um, good. Our Happy to hear it. And our fridge is stocked. So. Awesome. (laughs) All good things. (laughs) Um, But before we get into more food as medicine to support, to get out of that adrenaline surge, let's have a quick word from our new sponsor.
1: Yes. I am super stoked to share that this episode, 129, is sponsored by Keto Farms. They make Clean Foods for Healthy Living. And I have to say, I get approached by people pretty much daily on social media or via email of new brands and companies that want me to try their foods. And I have a pretty strong vetting process. (laughs) One of the first questions, of course, is, does it have non-caloric sweeteners? (laughs) And I was really excited to learn about Keto Farms. Um, Ben and Brandon are awesome guys. I had a great, conversation with them and the development of their line. They have a keto snack mix and keto instant beverages. And their snack mix, the integrity of the products that are used, excuse me, the ingredients that are used to make their products are clean, delicious. They use sprouted nuts, which I was super excited about. So, you know, you're reducing the phytates, you're enhancing the nutrient density, and the flavor profiles are super on point. And it really embodies this concept of what is a whole food. Can you imagine it growing? Are all of its edible parts still intact? And really, the Keto Farms foods are things that I would make in my own kitchen and yet at a convenience and affordable price point.
2: Yeah. Saves you the dehydrator and however you get the cheese, all that crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. I was lucky enough to be in town when um, your box got delivered and we opened up a couple of the snack mixes. They've got flavors for like every mood and occasion, but we tried the um, spicy one, the tomato and pepper jack. It had sun-dried tomatoes. Yes. In it. And I believe we did the, did we do the raspberry good or the tangy. strawberry gudah, the tangy? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like little, um, I guess, are they freeze-dried cheese? Yeah, freeze-dried. Freeze-dried. Um, freeze-dried. Um, puffs of cheese and fruit, like the perfect combination, whether it was for an on-the-go snack, we were thinking really good for camping um, or throwing in a backpack or just pairing with like a wine and cheese plate is how we consumed it.
1: We did. (laughs) And they also have really fantastic instant beverages that are energizing and have everything in one. They have a fat-fueled latte for keto coffee, which uses a single-origin African coffee. And these guys are really passionate about their sourcing um, to the level of with their ceremonial organic matcha. They like go far and beyond and have a crafted matcha from a... (laughs) 10th grade chassis master tea maker. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saying that word right. Mm-hmm. I don't um, know that but is, like but <laughs> Yeah, I mean these guys are pretty hardcore and and um, you can taste it in the Keto Farms products. Um, I love their From the Earth philosophy. And like I said, simple natural ingredients, no BS, no additives, and um super excited to share it with all of you guys. So you can go over to their website. And you can use the code AllieMillerRD and you will save 10% on your first order. Um, and so we'll put that in our show notes with a link to Keto Farms. So it's just ketofarms.com. And in your shopping cart, you can put in the code AllieMillerRD. And I highly recommend everything I've tried.
2: Awesome. So back to it. I know there are some awesome food strategies that we want to uh, share with listeners, but let's just address lifestyle support first because, you know, food alone, if you're on this like crazy, you know, Running up the escalator. How do you say that again? Running up a downhill escalator is how you yeah, say it. Running um, up a downhill escalator, yeah, or the <laughs> hamster wheel, or whatever we want to call it. You know, food alone could be helpful, but maybe not enough. So, how do we manage the sympathetic nervous system and reduce the adrenaline surge?
1: Yeah. So you know, we need to get out of this twenty four seven life or death threat <laughs> mentality. And I mean, in, with the easiest way to say it is, is just find inner peace, right? <laughs> it's so easy. Um, but really, that being at peace and acceptance with our mental and emotional state has such a role of release. And I think the best way to physiologically harness that is with breath. So I'm a huge proponent of four seven eight breath by Dr. Andrew Weil, where you breathe in with your nose for four. You hold for seven and you whoosh, you actually make a whooshing for eight. And I know like with Muscle Expert podcast, Ben, ben Pekalski, Danny Vega, um, a lot of these guys that are just jacked and ripped that are bodybuilders and I will say intelligent bodybuilders at that. Um, You know, these guys really are into this. How do they harness parasympathetic reset post-workout because of that connection that they know they're surging cortisol and adrenaline during their powerlifting and their exercising and they know that they're shooting themselves in the foot if they don't grab on to what they can to swing back the pendulum to parasympathetic so they can retain that musculature. And it's so cool. I mean, I think that's one of the most tangible ways of just kind of demonstrating. And these guys in the gym practice varied forms of breath to regulate that parasympathetic state and harness that sympathetic reaction.
2: I think that's huge and definitely not what you hear in the typical gym where people are like holding their breath and grunting. And I'm sure there's a fair amount of that, but like that intention of breath. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, So saying, um, I think that's really, really powerful. Just saying like that life or death threat, literally, like many of us are dealing with actual tightness, tension in the chest or shortness of breath or chronic stress. And I, I really think that spiritual element of things is huge. Like not feeling like you're your best self, living up to your full potential um, can be super stressful and can keep you in this fight or flight mode every moment because you're thinking about it all the time, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the the best way you can navigate or get out of that second guessing rumination state we're going to talk about supplement strategies coming but but emotionally and mentally i think the best thing you can do is take ownership you know so literally in everything there is a layer of ownership that we can take and it starts by taking ownership to feel empowered or in control because when we feel out of control it's like our hands are up in the air and and we don't have any harness or any ground to gather so even in something that feels like like having let's say for instance a sick child right something that you feel just helpless about You can, in some levels, take ownership. What can you intentionally or purposefully do? Are you making a doctor's appointment? Are you showing up for something? Are you giving elderberry? Are you restricting dairy in their diet because they have mucus and phlegm? What pieces are you able to own in the process? And then, you know, rewriting the scripts of your internal self-talk is so extremely important because that's where the mean girl is going to drill you down and step on your progress or your successes and not allow you to celebrate them, not allow you to see them and that creates this imbalance in your your mental health of feeling like a chronic failure and you know it's this idea of like, you know, this this concept of running late, right? If you're going to show up to work at 8:07 versus 8 a.m., you can once you get in your car and you know that you're running late for work, you can spend that transit time beating yourself up and saying you're such an idiot. Why didn't you change your clothes? Why didn't you pick out your outfit the day before? I don't know when you're ever going to get it together. You know, and just just literally beat yourself up at every red light, at every stop, at every thought process. Or you can get in the car knowing that you're going to show up at 8.07 and make some acknowledge release statement of, I acknowledge I'm late, tomorrow morning I will do X, Y, Z different, and I am intentionally releasing myself from shame. And then you put on Beyonce and you still still show up at 8.07, but what you show up as is a different person, literally, physiologically, mentally, emotionally, and how you show up in your day as an employee, how you show up in your day as a wife, how you show up in your day as a mother, you are going to be a different person if you are kind to yourself and if you get into that acknowledge-release space physiologically, your blood pressure won't be as high, you know, you're not going to have dry mouth, you're not going to knock over your coffee when you walk in the door and the rest of the day just kind of goes on. You're you're showing up, you're claiming it, and you're taking ownership. And I think that that's the, the dichotomy of how we can own this and manage and harness this adrenaline.
2: Yes. And anytime you get to put on Beyonce, you show up as a better person, right? <laughs> I, I think yes. I think yes. Um, so I know you recently did a really awesome Instagram TV on the impact of our thoughts and stress expression, and even on our biology as a whole. And you guys can check that out over at Ali Miller RD on Instagram. But let's talk about the nocebo effect because I think that's a really powerful uh, concept.
1: Yeah. So you know we may know about the placebo effect, right? Which actually there is. Somewhere between eighteen to eighty percent of the time that we get efficacy from a placebo in varied clinical trials. So whether this is like they, they've had clinical trials of fake surgeries, like this is remarkable. Like <laughs> rotator cuff that wasn't actually worked on, and you know got efficacy improved rotation. Um, and, and so it's wild to see the influence of the power of the mind on our physiological health. And the word nocebo literally translates to "I shall harm." in Latin. It's a harsh and scary concept. And um, there is a gentleman, Dr. Bernie Siegel. He has a book called In Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And um, he cites a study where there were patients that showed up in a control group for a new chemo drug, a chemotherapy drug, and they were only given saline, yet they were warned about the side effects of chemo. And 30% 30% of them lost their hair, Becky. Like, how does your hair just fall out? Like, oh, they, wow. they, I know that's, that's <laughs> remarkable. Um, of course, a heart, a higher amount of population, 80% of them vomited and had nausea and chills, but 30% of them lost their hair just from that belief of that negative impact. So I, I just think that that's, that's a, a wildly powerful thing to be mindful
2: of. That's. Crazy. So crazy. So huge. Um, so let's talk about that purposeful, intentional ownership of, you know, your own life. And, and that's something we can do, or at least rewrite that script, um, to say, have a powerful and, and positive perspective, manifesting healing and balance.
1: Yeah. I mean, so you can you can even just to neutralize is better, right? <laughs> so sure. if anything, if you guys and, – and I can't tell you how often in, in clinical sessions I'm talking to my patients about mantra. Like, what are you owning? What are you framing? What does your silent space say to you? And if you can't at this stage of your process of healing or your journey right now say something that's powerfully positive – just to neutralize and release the mean girl is the first step of the process. So, things as simple as, you know, I, I release fear on eating. Foods are not harmful, they are nourishing, right? Like, if you're someone that's dancing with keto carnivore, FODMAP diet, AIP, and, and you're so wound up about what you're putting in your body, something as neutral as that, I release fear on eating. Foods are not harmful, they are nourishing. Or, I trust, that foods are nourishing my body, right? I trust in the plan and I'm empowered with the ability to nourish with awareness or I'm grateful in my ability to connect with my body and honor its needs. You know, these are neutral things that maybe don't make you feel like Beyonce (laughs) when you look in the mirror and talk to yourself, but at least they take away the doubt, shame, guilt, and negativity.
2: Sure, I love that. And and I think in these times of being... Overwhelmed, it is just getting rid of that inner mean girl and shutting her up. However, <laughs> it takes and having something to kind of call on in those spaces and and reframe them is really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's taking a conscious o- a conscious ownership that is so important in feeling grounded and really releasing that valve of the stress emergency. So even just stating, I surrender to this stress, I choose this chaos, (laughs) when you feel like you're in it and you've overcommitted and you're overstretched, again, acknowledge and release, or I am blessed to be able to push myself, I am resilient, I am capable. That's something that I say so often to myself. I, I say either embrace the intensity or I am resilient, I am capable. Um, and it's this again conscious ownership and and that's where then you get to release that that emergent state
2: I love that so hopefully you guys can create a mantra from what we've just spoken to that that really speaks to you and what you've got going on in your lives um, I want to transition and talk a little bit about symptoms of low adrenaline um, and I also want to talk about Adderall a little bit because I know that's a crutch for a lot of clients who do have, Um, low adrenaline output?
1: Yeah. So the lows we see are, again, right? Adrenaline feels good. It's vigor. It's drive. So depression can be seen with low adrenaline, low drive or apathy or a flat affect, uh, low libido, lack of focus, difficulty concentrating. And so, you know, Adderall as a drug is amphetamine. I I have so many clients that are like, well, I need it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you don't have a deficiency of speed, okay? No one has a deficiency (laughs) of speed. (laughs) It's not a nutrient that your body needs. So I just want to be clear. (laughs) I have some health-conscious clients and individuals that are just so addicted to it. And it's, it's, it's oftentimes because they're dealing with chronic adrenal fatigue, but they're working downstream with this drug, Adderall, which is amphetamine, and that only perpetuates the burnout. And so when they don't take it, they're hardly even functional, right? Because these things are going to be chronic stimulants to our central nervous system, which just upregulate this fight or flight stress response. And this is where side effects of Adderall can be weight gain. Side effects of Adderall can be loss of appetite, um, can be difficulty with sleep. Um, And so, you know, we can have this chronic burnout mode and we don't want to go downstream and perpetuate the process.
2: Yeah. And the burnout on the other side of that stuff is so much more intense than however crappy you were feeling, you know, on the the inroads. Um, But I would say Common Clear would probably be our first line of defense, both for ADHD and concentration and focus issues, as well as excess epinephrine. So, you know, both the high and low epinephrine, this is one that would work really well for. And that's why we have it in like three of our bundles, including our new um, Anxiety Jumpstart bundle.
1: Yes. Yes. So the new bundle, the Anxiety Jumpstart has Relax and Regulate, which is the Magnesium bisglycinate. Glycinate. It also has Calm and Clear. And then it also has the GABA Calm. So it's just like a triad of the three to really like harness and mellow you out, hence Anxiety Jumpstart. Um, and so Calm and Clear though would work very different than something like Adderall because it's playing on the elements that are going to support your stress access. So it has a nice combination of B vitamins, including a potent dose of B5, which we know is a huge player with adrenal health, Um, We're also going to be getting in a blend of nervines and adaptogens. So nervines are going to be calming to our stress response. And adaptogens help us to be resilient to the stressor. And then L-theanine is like the pilot or the modulator for our neurotransmitters. So it can actually metabolize down excess epinephrine. It's one of the only things that can really do that. And then the Calm and Clear also has... Phosphatidylserine in there, which can metabolize excess cortisol. So it is really great for concentration, focus, supports alpha brain waves, which helps us have a clear, collected mental space and allows us to have enough energy with those B vitamins, but not over driving. And then it's not going to give you that same vigor leg up like, of course, Adderall will, like speed will. Um, But that's where then you'd go into if you are stressed and tired or you're weaning off of Adderall or Ritalin or or one of those excitatory drugs, the adrenal support glandular is going to be really integral to long-term recovery to give you that gland compound in that healing process.
2: Awesome. And then, you know, Gabacom would be kind of on the other side of that for excessive adrenaline that is manifesting in like panic or sweaty palms, racing heart, etc.,
1: yeah, I mean that's going to be that light switch. Like, just yep. shut it down. <laughs> yeah. If you're waking in the middle of the night, GABA calm is your best friend to take out that rumination and that reactive stress impact. It can play a role with impulse control and cravings. And then adaptogen boost is going to be the good pendulum swing to make us more resilient. And that one will actually give us more energy again in compensation for that adrenal fatigue. So we have the panax ginseng in there, which we know can improve our stamina, our energy, our physical physical performance. Um, It is going to improve that HPA axis feedback loop versus suppressing it. So we're getting the the sensitivity factor with that adaptogen boost. And that's also why that panax ginseng is supportive for the thyroid. Um, So it gives us that balance of that regulatory state. And then we get cordyceps, which are going to help with memory, going to help with reducing free radicals in the brain, and the rhodiola, which can help as a central nervous system enhancer. It can work as an antidepressant and also support reduction of mental fatigue and immune function. So that adaptogen boost is something that Becky and I run on because (laughs) we also don't want to burn out our adrenaline. And then the calm and clear helps to kind of uh, create a nice feedback loop to regulate the stress access
2: sure and then if we're weaning off something like Adderall or dealing with more of the chronic fatigue side of things we might consider bringing in adrenal support depending on severity of fatigue
1: Right. So that'd be that glandular that you need. And then you might even layer on our B complex to give you more insurance, maybe a B12 lozenge for an immediate energy boost. And then vitamin C, if we're ever dealing with cortisol imbalance, about two to three grams of vitamin C would be another
2: functional medicine thing to layer on. Awesome. So let's jump in to the food as medicine. Um, Say we're already kind of doing our bubble wrapping with supplements, practicing our breath and perspective. What do we do with the diet?
1: So the first thing, which don't throw... Tomatoes at me, but um the first thing you need to do is reduce your caffeine. Houston, your dog is not happy about that recommendation. <laughs> He's not at
2: all. Like immediately he'd <laughs> barking over here.
1: <laughs> Don't take my coffees. Uh, so yeah, so you do need to reduce caffeine because this is a stimulant, right? Um, or at least reduce it to eight ounces. Um, and if you are doing caffeinated beverages, you I would strongly recommend that you consider adding CBD oil, which is going to blunt that epinephrine adrenaline surge from your caffeine or your stimulant, and it's going to balance an upregulation of GABA, which gives you that neuroinhibitory rebound. Or better yet, replace your coffee with tea or matcha, because matcha is going to give you that L-theanine. In all forms of tea, you're going to get some L-theanine, but most concentrated in the matcha, which is one of the reasons why it's such a powerful player. And like I said, the Keto Farms matcha is the bomb, you guys. They're these awesome, convenient packets, and they have the fat in there. Fat, again, supports the adrenals because we need fat to make hormones. Um, But all tea is going to have polyphenols, which are antioxidants, of course, that are going to reduce free radical stress. So physiologically, you're preventing that stress burnout mode by getting antioxidant capacity up in the body. So that's important, too.
2: I thought Houston was more on board with the matcha recommendation, considering that he quieted down a little bit when you said I could still have that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but beyond beverages and reducing stimulants, essentially with caffeine, um, we want to reduce blood sugar impact as well and regulate carbohydrate consumption.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, because as we talked about that integrated element of sugar, insulin, body fat storage, body fat telling the body to make more sugar and so forth, reducing the sugar in the diet is going to bring down our insulin, bring down then our blood sugar levels and stabilize them so we get less surging, less mountain peaks and valleys. And if you are to have carbs in your diet, I always recommend them in the evening because that dawn phenomenon concept is that cortisol peaks in the morning. And so that's gonna create more of that glucocorticoid blood sugar influence, and we want to allow that to be metabolized. And that's also why intermittent fasting generally works best in the morning timestamp. So, you know, we want to be mindful that blood sugar control is an influence on our adrenaline, and too low also can drive excess epinephrine and overdrive the HPA axis. And this is where some people that are doing excessive fasting or too restrictive of a ketogenic diet may get this hormetic stressor effect. And we know that keto can upregulate the HPA axis and that ketosis has hormetic influence. So we need to be mindful of how can we use food as medicine, and nutritional ketosis to have a favorable stimulating but not burnout influence creating that reactive fight or flight food insecurity influence
2: on our body. Yes. And I think having just prepared for class five of six of our virtual food as medicine ketosis program, I really think that's what sets our program apart as it uses keto as a primary tool and, you know, for many people, a goal. But we're shifting the goal to really connecting with the body honoring it in ways that have you you know break up with sugar first then regulate blood sugar insulin inflammation and hormones and determine you know what level of carb restriction or flow or whether fasting is going to work for them right
1: and we hit all of that in a very experiential way in our virtual food as medicine ketosis program And, you know, there are spots. So the next group launches April 10th. You have about a week and a half to grab your spot. I think we're more than 50% full at this point and pricing goes up early April. So make sure you grab your spot. And if you've been tipping your toe into the water of keto or you're keto curious, this is an awesome way to use food as medicine and create balance. Whether that means restricting your diet more or liberalizing your diet more, we can address both ends of the spectrum.
2: Awesome, and then finally, let's go—you know—beyond carbs and caffeine, and talk about um, food as medicine for stress and excessive epinephrine.
1: So bone broth for sure, because that's going to help electrolytes, which is going to help the adrenals to not work so hard. Also getting that glutamine to support the gut integrity. Uh, fats, as I mentioned, like with the keto matcha approach, adding fats to your diet. And that's why ketosis is favorable for the adrenals, because we know we need fat to make hormone. And in order to make hormone, we also you know can make cortisol to rebound the adrenals with fats. Um, chocolate is actually one that we can use to help with that fight-or-flight response and epinephrine regulation and then L-tyrosine as our featured amino acid. So this is in our dark poultry, our beef. It's again, most common in our animal products because it is an amino acid. We're also going to get it in wild fish and then nuts and seeds like almonds, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, and avocado as good sources of L-tyrosine, which can give you that reward bliss at the end of a stressful day, right? We burn through our dopamine and then we go to our pantry and think, what do I get? What's my reward? Um, So L-tyrosine-rich foods as a four o'clock snack, maybe even paired with probiotic-rich food, um, like some fresh sauerkraut with that or something, would be a really great way to give you that abundance to support your adrenal glands and get that that feel good without the overspill of the adrenaline surge.
2: Awesome. And then vitamin C-rich foods, for sure, thinking about our Adrenal Rehab Shake, um, which has a base of coconut milk, so it hits on the fats and it's got... um, Lemon and a um, lot of
1: lemon yeah. and buffered, buffered vitamin seed. C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then it also has grass fed whey in there. So you're getting the amino acids as the building blocks for your neurotransmitters. So I think that all of these are really <laughs> a lot of information. There are specific food as medicine solutions. We'll link the adrenal rehab shake in today's show notes. But as always, you know, this is one that I think really resonates with us and. We're always trying to proactively mitigate this excess adrenaline, yet we might have so much going on. And so we want to stay in this big picture mode of what is stress, how is it influencing me, and how can I make peace with it? right? So what am I going to do proactively? Am I going to take adaptogens? Am I going to adjust my time-restricted eating? Am I going to adjust my approach with keto? Am I going to practice breathing and sleep focus? Um, But what are going to be my biggest elements to really harness this adrenaline so that I'm in control and and not running
2: like a crazy person? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And don't forget to breathe, guys. So if you love this episode and you don't have a copy yet of the anti-anxiety diet, head on over to Amazon and grab yours. And if you do have one, please go over to Amazon anyway, and take a moment to leave a five-star review. And with that, I'm going to go jump into Houston traffic and put on Beyonce and just be okay with it. (laughs) Yes, you
1: do that. (laughs) As Becky's exiting, I know I'm like watching her adrenaline surge this whole way because I know she has a chiropractic appointment. Both of us try to bubble wrap.
2: It's just framing it, right? I'm reframing it. I'm going to call them on the way and tell them- You go, girl. (laughs) As long as I need to.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I am going to go over and- get outside. That's going to be my big commitment for the month is an hour of outside time. And um, as always, I'm, I'm working on the, the sleep factor. But the, the mental health game has been a really big one that I think is really important that I hope resonated with a lot of you guys as listeners. Some other homework you might consider as lifestyle, as I let you go, um, is not to exercise. And if you are someone that's doing intensive exercising – Practice practice like a shavasana, right? Like after yoga, practice finding your breath and getting into that parasympathetic state post-exercise recovery versus just jumping into your car, right? Um, Practice a physiological release as a regular basis. Have sex at least once a week or at least an orgasm once a week. That's going to help that oxytocin bliss factor, which tells the body that it's safe. The body needs to feel safe and not in this fight-or-flight, life-or-death mode. And that's one of the best ways, human connection and relationship. And then, you know, thinking of ways to incorporate beyond breath, laughter. Laughter is one of the best ways that we can release and oxygenate our body and also get into that safe, connected state. So I hope, as always, there are some strong aha moments. And beyond going to Amazon and getting the anti-anxiety diet and leaving me a review, which I super appreciate, You can also go over to AllieMillerRD.com. This is where under the podcast area, you can always see by episode, you can search by topic. Um, In the podcast notes is where you'll see all of the links. So we'll see links to the varied supplements that we discussed today, like the Calm and Clear and the varied uh, bundles, also Advanced Labs, which if you're really curious about your epinephrine, we do assess that in our Neurohormone Complete and Neurohormone Complete Plus panel. So that's food for thought if you want to get actual tangible data on your state of your adrenals and your neurotransmitters. And then in my Books and Programs tab of the website is where you can register for my virtual 12-week Food as Medicine Ketosis program. As I said, pricing will go up April 1st. So you have a couple days from listening to today's episode to grab your spot before that happens. And as always, sharing is caring. So please tag Allie Miller RD when you're listening to the podcast or making my recipes or even just applying, maybe tag me on the mantra that you come up with. Um, but I so appreciate you guys sharing the food as medicine message and my mission so that we all can be in thrive versus simply survive mode.
0: Thank you.